So uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at the fivefold ministry gifts, and hopefully you got a really good understanding. You are experts now. You can preach it yourself. You understand apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We covered in detail all of what uh, was entailed in those gifts. We noticed that Jesus gave those gifts to the church, and he gave them Uh, to the church as he liberated captivity. So from the beginning of the church age, which is after the time of the resurrection, the church has had spiritual gifts that were given, and we noticed they were in five categories. That's why we call them the fivefold gifts. Tonight, we're going to jump into verse 12 after we preach through verse 11 on all of the gifts in detail. Now we're going to find out what they're for and how they should be implemented and what the point is. How many like to know the point? Somebody said one time, if you can't get to the point, don't go on the journey. Anybody? Yeah. Do you like people who just talk and talk and talk and never make a point? I'm looking at some. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, there's a point to the gifts. In verse 12, we're going we're gonna to hear about it. So let's just thank the Lord for the word. Then I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12. Uh, through 16 tonight. Father, thank you for this time of worship in the middle of the week. Thank you that we can come together and enjoy each other as brothers and sisters. Thank you that we're here tonight using our spiritual gifts and we're being encouraged and stretched by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, tonight we ask you to do just that and stretch us, Lord God. Bring us past our own understanding of things and illuminate your word to us that we would understand the application of the fivefold ministry gifts, Lord, so that we could appreciate them and watch them blossom in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own churches. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Here's the reason for the gifts. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects in him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being fitly and held, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, just listen to verses 12 and 13 again. That's going to be our target tonight. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we spent weeks covering all of the gifts, and we looked at them all. We talked about apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Hopefully, each of you could tell me something about each one of those. If we had the time, just raise your hand, tell me something. I would love to do that. But Hopefully, you've got it in your heart what these gifts are about and how they work and how they take their place in the body of Christ. If not, I encourage you to get the teachings that are online and get them in your spirit because it's important we understand these. None of us were gifted so that we could just enjoy our gift ourselves. Amen? 
if, if my gift is to preach and all I do is preach alone at home in my office, that does nobody any good, including me. Not even I want to listen to me. But my gift is to be used to edify the body of Christ. So our gifts are not given to us so that we could just, you know, use them ourselves and get good at something and, you know, have a skill. No, our gifts are not given to us so that we can be celebrated. Sometimes people miss that. Well, I want my gift to elevate me so that people notice me. Have you ever seen that happen in the body of Christ? Nah, me neither. Our gifts are not given to us so that we could feel significant or that we could have a job or that we could make money or that we could be admired by others. Our gifts have been given to us by Jesus for a specific reason. Now, verse 12 lists the two primary reasons for the fivefold ministry gifts, and here they are. For the equipping of the saints. How does that sound? For the equipping of the saints. Listen, for the, I'm going to say a bad word in church, for the work said it. Lord, forgive me for the work of the ministry. So the first reason gifts are given are for the equipping of the saints. That's you. That's me for the work of the ministry. And number two is for the building up of the body of Christ. Could that be any clearer? No, it's, it's crystal clear. That's the reason Jesus gave us gifts. That's the reason he gave us the five-fold ministry gifts, so that what? We could uh, equip the saints for the work of the ministry and build the body of Christ. The first thing we've got to notice is the reason we are gifted has more to do with others than it does with ourselves. Amen? Your gift is to what? Equip others. Your gift is to what? Train others. Your gift is for what? To provoke others to use their gifts in the ministry so that the whole body can work together. Your gift is to build up the body of Christ. And we've got to understand this because we've got people who know they have gifts, but they're sitting on them because they don't want to use them because they don't see the significance of using them. And they think, well, I'm just gifted. I got that. You know, I'm, you know it's a gift. And I'm, thank you for it, Lord. But I don't, I don't want to do anything with it, especially when you mix in that bad word, work. You see, we've been called to be soldiers in the army of God, amen? How many would, it, would agree with me? There's work that needs to be done. Our world is nuts. And they're looking to us. They're looking to the church to make sense of the madness, Amen. It's not time for us to get quiet and to shrink back and to fade into the background. It's time for the church to be in the public square using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave us to draw men to Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? First, we've got to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, let's take a look at this, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We know that the saints are those who have accepted Jesus Christ. Some religious groups call extra special Christians who do uh, a list of man-made things. You got to do this and you got to do that. and You got to have a couple miracles and you got to have three witnesses and uh, $38 in your wallet and a nice smile. And then you're a saint. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that those of us who are in Christ Jesus are saints. Why? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we've been made holy in the sight of God. Amen? Sainthood has nothing to do with our performance or our works, per se. It has everything to do with the blood that was shed to redeem us. Amen? Come on, Wednesday night. Come on, Wednesday night. We're going to have fun. So here we are. We are the saints 
And I want you to turn to your neighbor on your right and your left and say, hello, Saint so-and-so. Saint Kim, Saint Fred. <laughs> we are all saints because of Jesus, part of the body of Christ. We've believed in him, we've received him. He's our personal Lord and Savior, and because his holy blood has now cleansed us and his Holy Spirit is now in us, we are saints of God. So for the equipping of the saints, so our gifts are to work in those who have accepted Jesus Christ. First, we have to get things in order in the church so that the church can be the mechanism that reaches the lost. And that doesn't happen unless the saints are equipped. Have you ever seen a group of people who are not good at what they do? Have you ever seen a group of people that are poorly trained trying to get something done? If you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, you've got an army that was supposed to be one of the mightiest armies on the face of the earth that is an abject mess. And casualties are piling up on both sides and it's horrific to see what's happening here not good. Uh, one side is not good at fighting and the other side is not good at quitting and we've got a big mess going on. But the body of Christ needs to be properly trained, properly equipped, amen? So when we get on the battlefield of darkness versus light, we don't become casualties, but we, are, we become those who bring in the harvest. Someone say amen. Every one of us needs to be equipped. What does that mean? That means we need to be taught and trained, and disciplined, and tested, and proven. Why? Because we've got work to do. You can't do a job that you're not trained for. If a car showed up at your house tomorrow morning at 4 o'clock and picked you up and said, get in, and then they brought you to an airplane hangar and they said, fix this engine, would you put your loved ones on that plane after you were done? Come on. No, you've got to be trained to do such things, amen? Christians need training. We need testing. We need to be, you know, vetted. And all of this is a process that the Holy Spirit does in us. But we are supposed to help train the body of Christ. You say, how? With our gifts. And, you know, like I said, if we're not trained, we're not going to be able to equip anyone. Uh, we've got to be disciplined. You know, all of us are called to be disciples. There is no discipleship without discipline. I know I'm saying all kinds of bad words in church tonight. Work and discipline, it, it might get worse. I, I can't make any promises, but, you know, uh, even the fact that, you know, we need to be proven before we're entrusted with certain ministries. You know, you don't put a novice in a position where they could hurt other people. You remember when we covered pastors, you know, and, and, and apostles and stuff? It's not a position for the novice or for the new convert. It's a position for someone who's vetted and tested and proven and disciplined. And, and then, you know, it's almost like all of us need training wheels before we can, you know, we can ride that bike, amen? Well, I want to fly. Well, you got to learn to crawl first. So all of us need to, as saints of God who have gifts, most of the time our gifts come in raw form. Get this? You know, you don't learn to master anything unless you put in a lot of work and dedication. I, I, I started playing guitar when I was seven years old, and the difference between the way I sounded at seven years old and now, I've gotten a little better. If, if You say, well, what is that? Hours and hours and hours of tormenting my parents with loud amplifiers? Practice, hard work, 
going back to the drawing board. It's what it requires to be competent at anything. So we've got to embrace this idea that we need training. Every saint, every believer, every disciple is also a worker in the kingdom of God. There's no working class and royal class. Hello. Do you ever get around some people who think they're part of the ruling class and that God put you on this green earth to serve them? Oh, they're a joy, aren't they? No, we're all workers in the kingdom, amen? Well, you're the pastor. You don't have to do anything. Ha, ha, ha. The higher you get up the food chain, the more you have to be willing to do anything. It's not like the corporate world, like, you know, they sit in the big corner office with the big window and bring me my coffee and take my calls, and I'm going out golfing. No. In the kingdom, the more, uh, the, the more of a position, the more authority, the more responsibility we get, the more we have to learn to serve. Let him who is your servant be your leader. It's servant leadership, amen? So we're all workers in the kingdom. We're all called to serve. We all need to be trained. The fact is that many of us in the body of Christ don't know this or that we don't submit to it, and that's what makes the labor pool in the church shallow, and the ones who are answering the call are overworked, and to some degree on the battlefield of life, the church has been unsuccessful because we haven't embraced training. Come on, Wednesday night. This is the Wednesday night meat eaters club. You should be saying amen or roaring or something. So we've got to be equipped. We've got to be trained. We're all workers in the kingdom. Some of the body of Christ doesn't know this. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ who are not uh, on the team doing the work. The 80-20 rule is not just the thing in the business world. How many have heard of the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people in any corporate structure do 80% of the work. This was something that they figured out in business, and that's when they started to bring in people who were consultants to chop heads off and get rid of the fat and streamline the workforce. Why? Because you had a whole lot of people doing nothing, collecting a paycheck. Come on, I'm preaching now. This, this also happens in the body of Christ. We've got, you know, people sitting out there who don't do anything, and they're like barnacles on, you know, the, they're, they're, not, they're just pew potatoes. Now, now, none of you here on Wednesday night, I understand, we're talking about the people who didn't show up tonight, and they deserve it. So, But 20% of the people, and I talk to pastors, and I've been around a while, you know, 30-plus years in ministry, Bible school. I've been to a lot of places, seen a lot of things, and you got a lot of inactive Christians sitting out there on their gifts, not doing anything for the kingdom of God. When we could be forcefully advancing the kingdom, we've got 20%, maybe sometimes more, maybe sometimes less, but exhausting themselves, carrying a load that's too much for 20%. If only 20% of your body works, how are you going to get around in the day? Well, just my legs working today, you know, just going to go in circles today. <laughs> are, you ki- are you kidding me? Well, today it's just my arm. Just my arm is working today. No, it's all got to function together. I'm working hard up here. It's good to laugh, amen. It makes your wrinkles go away. So the body of Christ needs to get to work, and to get to work, we've got to realize we're part of the workforce, and we've got to embrace this training that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Paul puts it this way. He says in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. No, I'm sorry. This is Jesus speaking here in Matthew 9. He says this, but when he saw the multitudes, Jesus looking at multitudes of people, 
he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Listen, then he said to the disciples, listen, Jesus here, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Wow. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Could you imagine how that broke Jesus' heart? To look out there and see people that would get saved, that would get delivered, that would get free, that would come into the kingdom of God, but there was nobody to gather in the fruit, even though it was ripe. The world is ripe out there. They're hurting. They're tired. They're disillusioned. They don't want to hear any more from politicians. They don't want any more religious systems. They don't want any fake, you know, uh, you know just people to pump them up and rah, rah, rah. They want truth. You and I have got truth. We need to get busy about being workers in the kingdom of God. The purpose of the preaching and teaching gifts are primarily to get the word of God into the hearts and the minds and the hands and the feet of the people. That's what this is all about, preaching and teaching. That's why we have preaching and teaching at every part of our service. You know, we follow a model here, worship and the word. Worship prepares us to receive the word of God. Worshiping the word is God's one-two punch to get the truth into his people. Why? Because when we worship God and we lay down our burdens and we take the focus off ourselves and we focus on him, the Holy Spirit prepares our heart so, so we can hear the truth and he can drive it into our spirits. That's why you leave this place excited and motivated. That's why on Monday and Tuesday you're still thinking about what the Holy Spirit said. The purpose of the preaching and teaching gifts is to get the word into our hearts and our minds, our hands and our feet. Conversion is not just something that happens one time. We are constantly being converted. We are constantly being delivered from wrong thoughts and wrong theology and wrong attitudes. Come on, anybody? Amen. I've been serving the Lord a long time, and guess what? I still have wrong thoughts about God. Something goes wrong, I'm like, what did I do now? And I didn't do, and, 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 and it was a miracle. I didn't do anything wrong. God was like, you, you did something right this time. You know, just mix it up every once in a while. Uh, understand, you know, we have wrong thoughts and wrong theology. There's things that, you know, are being taught behind pulpits today in churches that are not scriptural. And we got people coming in who've sat under unscriptural teaching for the longest time. That I, I see the repercussions sometimes as I'm preaching. I can see the shockwave go out, and I can see people just. And some people, you know, you could tell they don't like what you're saying. That just encourages me even more. But the truth will set us free, so we've got to preach the truth. And none of us have cornered the market on truth. I hear preachers and denominations all the time act like they're the only ones teaching the truth. Give me a blessed break. None of us have all the truth. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all being trained. Churches that say, well, you know, we're the only ones. No, you're not. In fact, you're the worst of the worst because you're full of pride, and you're trying to divide the people, and you're puffing yourselves up. You're going to have to wait outside of heaven for the first million years. No, I'm just kidding. So training is important. We are 
to, you know, submit to that training, understand that we're workers in the ministry. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's what's going on here tonight. You're getting the word of God in you. The Holy Spirit's putting it in you. He's activating your gifts, and he wants to use you to reach this broken world. Say amen. So we should be asking ourselves at this point in the message, how equipped am I to do the work of bringing the gospel to the lost? That's the point. You didn't come to church just to hear a good sermon, have a few laughs, maybe puff up on spiritual knowledge a little bit. That's religion, amen? Oh, just give me knowledge and wisdom and uh, so I can, uh, you know, cite theology and chapter and verse and quote scriptures. For what purpose? Do you want to be a Pharisee? Do you want to join the Sanhedrin? Do you want to, what, why? If it's not to pour it out upon people who need to hear the truth and do it in love in a way that glorifies God, then it's just a waste of time. Clanging symbol, clanging, I mean, just if it has no love, if it has no purpose. So we should be asking ourselves, how equipped am I to bring the gospel to the world? Have I been trained? Have I sat under uh, the, the truth and has it affected me so that I can bring the truth to people in love and it would provoke them to the point of conversion? I venture to say that all of us could use some growth in that area. Say amen. Equipping is half of the equation. The second part is building up the body of Christ. So, you know, I don't know how you feel about working out or being in shape, but you are all called, like I'm called, to be bodybuilders. I'll meet you here at 6 in the morning, bring your protein shake. You ain't coming, are you? We are to build up the body of Christ. You see, this grates against the flesh. Why? Because the flesh just wants to build itself up. This grates against the narcissism of our culture that says, well, what's in it for me? I'm just here to enhance me. Oh, no one's coming back next week, Tom. You see, if we're still worrying about us and our growth and our empire and God bless me and mine and us four and no more. No, then, then we've missed it because we've got to be kingdom people. We've got to be thinking more about others than ourselves. Hey, I don't know if God never does one more thing for me, I'm good. I'm saved. I'm blessed. My name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm headed for heaven when I die. I, I don't have any worries. Now I'm saying that in faith. Amen. Today I did a private uh, funeral service for the Mordeckis, Sister Nancy, we laid her to rest. And what a, what a moment there just seeing a woman of God being laid to rest that just loved other people in a way that should inspire us all. We're going to have to get a team of people together as huggers just to take up the place of what she used to do on Sunday morning, amen? We need some huggers, amen? <laughs> start, start loving some people. Start hugging some people. Start getting involved with some people. But, uh, you know, a bodybuilder thinking, you know, more about others than herself, even on her deathbed, I spent some time with her just, uh, you know, maybe a week or so ago and just, you know, how is this person and how is this person and how's your family? And she's a breath away from heaven and yet worrying about other people. You know, that's the testimony of the saints. I can't tell you how many times I've been at bedsides with people who, you know, are they're ready to go, but they're worried about what they're leaving behind. Because you and I are good. You and I are, are saved. You and I are headed for heaven. 
But there's a whole big world out there that's a mess, and we need to be willing to not think about ourselves long enough to build up the body of Christ. Every believer is supposed to be a worker in the kingdom, and our work is to be bodybuilders, to strengthen the body of Christ. My spiritual gifts and your spiritual gifts, when used together in concert, will, pro- will properly build up the body of Christ. Not only will using my gift build my faith, it's going to build your faith. And understand that. It's not just a, well, you know, I got to lay my life down for all these ungrateful people. No, it's like as, as we use our gifts, right, just, just being honest, right, you know, people are like that, you know, well, what's in it for me? And there is something in it for us because God knows how we're wired to a degree. As we use our gifts, it builds our own faith. And we've got to be willing, well, you know, I, 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 I don't see any results or it's too hard or it takes too much time. Just get in there and get busy and be faithful. And you know what? Sometimes it takes time and sometimes it takes dedication and sometimes it takes pushing through the barriers, but you're going to see fruit. God's word won't return void when he uses you, Amen. So we're bodybuilders. We're to build up the body of Christ. As we do, it builds our own faith. We produce spiritual fruit, and people will uh, produce spiritual fruit around us when we properly use what God's given us to build up the body. Think of the apostle Paul, how he laid down his life, how he went from city to city, how he was beaten and stoned and chased out of synagogues and lowered from roofs and all of the things he went through, shipwrecked, drowned, snake bit, gut shot, everything you could think of. Yeah, and that's what he said too. And you might look at that and go, man, is that worth it? Absolutely. He didn't know it then, but he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His ministry and his life has affected millions and millions of people. It's worth it when we answer the call. It's worth it when we lay our lives down. It's worth it when we're willing to, to lay down ourselves to build the body of Christ. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the encourager, the Sunday school worker, the janitor, whoever functions in the house of God and the kingdom of God. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, amen. Whatever we do, if we do it unto the Lord, it'll produce fruit. Just consider our mission statement at the Full Gospel Center, elevating worship, strengthening families, reaching the lost. That came through me, but that's not from me. That's from the Lord. And I want you to understand something. We can't do that with just a one-man show. We can't do that with just a few people working. We can't do that with 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. We can't accomplish that mission statement. That mission statement is bigger than all of us. We have to do it together. We have to be willing to lay our lives down. We have to be trained by the Holy Spirit and answer the call and to get out there and to not only reach the lost, but to build the body up so that the body can reach the lost, amen? What we do in here is not supposed to stay in here. Come on, I know it's Wednesday night, and this is supposed to be just a nice little teaching and give you a couple goosebumps and a joke and send you home, but that's not what it is tonight. Tricked you. You showed up anyway. 
God wants us to mobilize. God wants us to get excited to, to, to do something. Why? Because what we're getting in here needs to get outside the four walls, amen, and touch somebody. Think about those of you who are here that, man, maybe two years, three years, five years ago, you didn't even know about this place. You went by it. You thought it was an abandoned building. You came in here and you met Jesus and you got saved and you got born again and you got filled with the Holy Spirit and you got filled with the Word. Come on, anybody tonight? Mm. Elevating worship, strengthening families, reaching the lost. Can't do that without the whole body working. We've got to submit to the training. We've got to be bodybuilders. That's going to take all of us together using our spiritual gifts to accomplish there's no way you can do that with just a few. Oh, just rely on the pastoral team. Won't work. Just hire more people. Won't work. Just get better programs. Won't work. Before we can collectively and effectively use our God-given gifts to build the church and to build the body, we need to eliminate these things that tear the body of Christ down. Are you ready for six things that tear the body of Christ down? See, if we're going to build the body up, we've got to stop tearing it down. Some people tear down things faster than they can build them up. If you've ever done demolition, you know it's easy to tear something, much easier to tear something down than to build it up. It might take me two, three, four days to build a nice deck. I can tear down a deck in four hours. Give me a sawzall, a crowbar, and some dynamite. No, no dynamite. But listen, it's much easier to tear down than to build up. If you build, you know that. So we've got to look at the things that tear down the body of Christ, and I'm going to cover six of them. Number one, I'm going to give you two at a time. Competition and jealousy tear down the body of Christ. When we got people who have gifts that were given to them by Jesus competing against each other, that tears down the body. Churches competing against each other. Preachers competing against each other seeing how many people they can pull from this church to their church and that church and, and, and talk that ministry down and, how many, and, and, the, and they're competing over the same lost, wandering sheep. I've seen competition on all kinds of levels, and let me tell you something, it's ugly and I refuse to participate. Competition tears the body of Christ down. Jealousy tears the body of Christ down. How did they get that position? Why did they get that gift? I want that gift. I, I should have had that gift. I'm smarter. I'm better looking. I'm faster. I'm thinner. <laughs> you know, just because we're saved doesn't mean we're immune to these petty things like jealousy. And you know what? Those of us who've had mileage and been humbled and been stripped before, man, we can spot a jealous person from like six miles away. You know, it's like being from the city. You can spot someone who wants to hustle you a, a, a half a block away, right? Uh-oh, here they come. Watch this. I can't wait to see what the pitch is going to be. Maybe I'll just move to the other side of the street now. But we can spot it. And you know what? Jealousy is not something that the body of Christ is immune to, but it's a destructive force in the body of Christ. Never be jealous of someone else's gift. You don't know what it costs them to, to exercise it, to use it, to produce fruit with it, amen? Sometimes we want gifts that if we would have gotten them, they would kill us. Oh, I want a church this big. No, you don't. Just carry the cross that he's given you, amen? One too small won't build you up. One too big will crush you. Well, he made a mistake. He should have gave it. No. God don't make mistakes. 
Competition and jealousy will tear the body of Christ down. The next two, idleness and laziness. There's too much idleness in the body of Christ. There's too many of the 80 watching the 20% do all the hard work. Idleness. Idleness is something that, you know, Scripture prohibits and tells us not to be idle. Why? None of us have an excuse to be idle because all of us have been given a gift. And check this out. All of us have been given an assignment. Well, I'm not doing anything. Well, then you better get on your knees in your prayer closet and cry out for the Holy Spirit to show you what your assignment is. Amen. God didn't just give you a gift and then to say, you know, figure it out. You know, like those instructions you get, like with a piece of furniture that you got to build. Somebody wrote those instructions in broken some language and parts are missing and misnumbered. Come on. Anyone ever build something? Anyone ever do anything? Anyone ever leave the house? Right? You get that thing open, there's parts missing, the instructions don't make sense. Some guy who, from a country we beat in World War II is trying to get back at us so we can't figure it out. It's in French. But we've all got work to do, and, and some people are idle, and, and they're just sitting back, and they're not doing anything. And listen to me, th- th- that's, that's sin. Because we've been given gifts. And we've given an assignment. Some people are idle and they just choose to do nothing. Some people are lazy. They know they got a gift. Maybe they were involved at one time. Maybe they did it and it cost them a little something or they were around people that were aggravating and they said, I've had enough. That's it. I'm done with children's ministry. I'm done with worship ministry. I'm done coming to church. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Laziness. Idleness kills the body of Christ. Here's the next two. Gossip and division. Gossip and division tear down the body of Christ. Now, listen to me. To leadership, gossip is like a bad smell. If you walk into someone's house and, the, and they haven't taken the garbage out for a few days, they may not smell it, but you smell it immediately. Anyone? Leadership has a nose for gossip. People think, well, he don't know what I'm saying. He don't know what I'm going around doing. He don't know who I'm talking to. I know. I hear. People tell me. People go right from you to me and tell me. Now, not Wednesday night. I'm talking about the people that aren't here. But, you know, it's like with your parents when you're a kid. Nothing gets past them. You think you're slick. You're not slick. My dad used to know what I was going to do before I did it just by the look on my face. I thought he was a Jedi. I'm like, how does he know? He used to say, because I used to do that. Get in your room. So gossip, it, it's a stench in the body of Christ, and it has to do with uh, complaining and there again, jealousy and, and idleness. People got time to complain and be jealous because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. I said this before. Find out what your business is and mind it. When I find out what I'm supposed to be doing and I busy myself doing it, I have time to complain and gossip and backbite and be jealous or, or put my two cents in where it wasn't invited. Oh, it's a good place to clap. Gossip brings division. You know, thank God, we, you know, I, I know about gossip. I hear about gossip. I pray for gossipers. We're going to talk about how to handle some of these things. But thank God we have it to such a small degree that it doesn't bring division in the church. 
lot of you probably don't know this, but during COVID, some churches in our area had serious church splits and uh, serious leadership clashes. Some churches folded up and closed down. Some churches just split. Now, if you don't know that, praise God. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something all of us have to deal with, but leaders find out these things. And, you know, where does that come from? Problems, division, gossip, idleness, laziness, competition, jealousy in the body that's unconfronted and it metastasizes and it brings a cancer to the body of Christ. So those are six things that, you know, tear down the body. Before we can build up the body, we've got to stop the things that tear it down. Now, as much as possible, these six cancers have to go, and here's how they go. Number one, they go by covering the body in consistent prayer and spiritual warfare. When I say prayer, no reaction. Spiritual warfare, the oxygen gets sucked out of the room. You and I are not to be baby Christians anymore, letting everybody else do our praying. Every single one of us needs to be praying. You need to be praying. You need to be praying for Full Gospel Center. You need to be praying for the pastoral staff. You need to be praying for our services. Well, we just came to spectate and watch. Well, you're idle. Get to work. Start praying, amen. There's spiritual warfare to do. Why do you think, you know, when we got our prayer teams praying and people lifting up leadership, it's amazing. Things go smoothly. The Holy Spirit moves. People get saved every week. Come on. My God me some people who shout, Lord Jesus. So six things got to go because they're cancer, and the way they go is by consistent prayer and spiritual warfare. Number two, they go by creating a church culture that's inhospitable to such things. See, you and I can create a church culture in here. When someone comes to us to gossip, I guarantee if you go, I don't want to hear that, it's gossip. Oh, did you hear what? No, I don't want to hear it. It's none of my business. That's gossip. You have a good day. And you leave them standing there. I guarantee they won't come back to you the next time to gossip. And enough of us do that. We create a culture in the church that doesn't tolerate gossip. There are things we can do as mature believers that will keep immature believers in check and in line. But we've all got to do our part. And it takes training. So you're being trained tonight. So the next time someone comes up and wants to backbite a brother and sister, don't entertain it. They want to talk about the pastor, say, go talk to him. They want to spread gossip, say, it's gossip. I don't want to hear it. Number three, the third way we drive the cancer of these six things out of the body of Christ is by confronting in love those who bring these things to the church. Notice I said confronting in love. There's been times I've had to sit people down and confront them about their behavior, about their attitudes, about the things they've said. And those who would take it and repent and get right have stayed, and those that wouldn't have hardened their hearts and have left this place and went on to their own destruction. And I've seen it with my eyes. I don't wish that on anybody, but when you rebel against God's leadership and God's anointed and you refuse correction, you open the door wide up for the devil to come in and just cut you to pieces. I've seen their marriages implode. I've seen their children stop serving the Lord. I've seen all kinds of nonsense. You say, Pastor, you're scaring me. Good. It's better for us to be scared than to fall into the hands of an angry God because we're out of control and we're unsubmitted and we won't listen. Because I'm telling you what, 
The church will have mercy. Leadership will have mercy. Your brothers and sisters will have mercy on you. But if you rebel against all that, the devil won't have mercy on you. He wants to kill you. These six things are cancers, and they've got to go. So the truth is that Jesus didn't give us uh, gifts so that we could, you know, just entertain ourselves or have exciting services. He's given us these gifts, these fivefold ministry gifts, to accomplish three things. Now, how are we doing on time tonight? No, don't tell me that because I want you to get it, and the seat can only absorb, your head can only absorb what your seat can stand, so. So I need to be done by when? All right, let's try this. I want you to get this tonight. It's too important to gloss through. There are, you know, there are a couple things that need to happen here. Verse 13 shows us what the fivefold ministry gifts are supposed to accomplish. Now, let me refresh you with verse 13. Until we attain the unity of faith, say unity, and the knowledge of the Son of God, say knowledge, to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In that verse are the three things that the fivefold ministry gifts are supposed to attain. Number one is unity. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Listen, unity is necessary in the body of Christ for it to function correctly. We have to have unity. But listen to me. We only need unity in some very specific areas. We don't need to be lockstep, unified, all thinking, uh, wanting the same exact thing in certain areas that, you know, are not, they're, they're not foundational. They're, they're not important. There's, there's foundational things in the church that we need to agree on, and there's non-foundational things where we can have a difference of opinion. So when I say unity, that doesn't mean we agree about every single thing and we have no disagreement or if you don't believe this or think that or, or, or agree with me, you've got to go. No. How many people are married? You're afraid to raise your hand. Come on. You're not raising your hand. My wife in the front. Are you married? No. She said no. Do we agree on everything? No. Sometimes she's wrong and she doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes I'm wrong, and, and we don't agree on everything. We're going to be married 30 years. You, 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 no two people can agree on everything. And to force that is not only impractical, it's impossible. It's going to create frustration. So we have to have unity in some very specific areas. The idea that Christians must all think alike and act alike and like the same preaching style and the same worship music and the same church structure and have the same exact theology all across the board and the same eschatology and dress the same and have the same hairstyles. Come on, it's ridiculous. I know churches that, you know, if you, if you went to that church, you, you wore a blue blazer. If you were a guy, your hair was cut like right here. I mean, and if you didn't, you, I mean, you were like an outcast. crazy. Oh, you know, this is the type of worship music we play, and that's it, and that's the kind, you know, and that's the kind Jesus likes, and that, that stuff is evil, but this stuff is lockstep unity is not possible with people. If we were to have real unity, first of all, our unity has to start with Jesus. 
Our unity is in Jesus Christ. The foundational pillars of Christianity, of the faith, is where we have to have unity. We all have to believe that the Scripture is the authentic Word of God. Amen? We all have to believe in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all have to believe in the divinity of Christ. He wasn't just a prophet or a good man or a teacher. He was and is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, amen? You see, we have to have unity in the way that we understand salvation. It's not by works. It's not graded on a curve. It's grace. It's a free gift that's given to us that we receive by faith, amen? These are the foundational things where we have to have unity, but on our eschatology and the rapture and tithing and giving and all of this stuff, you know, there's some room for disagreement there. So unity is what the fivefold gifts should produce, but only in specific areas. Number two, the second purpose of the fivefold ministry gifts is to produce intimacy with Jesus. Look what it says, the knowledge of the Son of God. We serve a God who wants to know us and be known. That's awesome, amen? We serve a God who's not aloof to us, who's not estranged from us, who doesn't want to deal with us. Have you ever been around people that don't want to deal with you? Man, they'll make a wide berth around you just to get past you. You know, you see them walking past your office, they're like, they pretend they don't see you. You see somebody in the mall you don't want to talk to. That's not God. That's not God. God wants to know us and to be known. The purpose of the gifts, the purpose of preaching, the purpose of teaching, the purpose of evangelism, all of these gifts, the prophetic, uh, the apostolic gift of building leaders and building the church is so that people can know Jesus. One of the most amazing things about Christianity is the opportunity for intimacy we have with the creator of all things. Your father wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants you to know him. Number three, I'm going to kind of close down with this. The third purpose of the fivefold gifts is to produce Christian maturity. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, the point of the drill tonight is we're sitting under the word of God, not so that we can be better versions of ourselves, not so we can be smart enough to convert other people to think the way we think, not so we can go home and straighten out our family and our spouse and tell them how much we know and they don't. The reason we're here tonight sitting under the word is so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are to be mature to the measure and the stature of Jesus, to the fullness of Christ. Now, reaching maturity in the natural realm means that we've reached a place in life where others consider us socially, financially, maybe genetically to have reached our potential. You know, you see a child grow up and they're a little taller than their father and, you know, they're, they're, they're handsome and young and stuff. And you're like, wow, they've reached their potential genetic potential. Or we see someone, you know, climb up the business ladder or be successful or start their own business and they, re they reach a level of financial success where we say, you know, well, they've peaked. That's awesome. They've, they've made it. 
You see, the world looks at others and decides when we've reached the fullness. I've had people say to me when, when I was a young uh, Christian, a young pastor, say to me, well, you've reached your potential. Wow, you've, you really, this is, and, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit was going to me, don't listen to them. This is not it, son. There's more. You need to grow more. You need to serve more. You need to die more. You need to, and they're saying, oh, no, you, you peaked. <laughs> and really what that was was manipulation and jealousy. And that was them wanting to put a lid over me. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you haven't reached, maybe in their eyes, maybe in the world's eyes, maybe in the eyes of others, but not in the Father's eyes. We got more work to do. So this idea of, you know, the world looking at us and saying we've reached the pinnacle, we've, we've accomplished the goal, we've reached, you know, our maximum level, well, that's the world's opinion. But Christian maturity is different. All of that other stuff is just the, us becoming the best version of ourselves that other people could, you know, entertain in their heads. But God looks at us and says, I, I don't want to make a better version of Rick. I want to conform Rick into the image of Jesus Christ. So like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase, amen? So no longer I that liveth, but Christ lives in me, amen? And the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I got to go. You got to go. What the world needs to see in us is Jesus. And that's real Christian maturity. The best version of Rick is still a lost sinner with a lot of flaws, and he's got nothing to offer anybody. But in Christ, all of us have gifts that can reach the next generation. The foolishness of the world's approach is comparing themselves to them to others and comparing themselves to, you know, well, I'm comparing myself to you, and oh, of course, I'm a little better than you, so you don't need to come up to here. That's the world system. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says it like this. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who condemn themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Now, I know that was a little bit of a mind twister there, but basically God's saying if people are just going to sit around and compare themselves to each other, they're not going to ever meet the standard of what God intended us to be. And that's foolishness, amen? The only one I'm allowed to compare myself is to Jesus. How am I doing? Well, do I look like Jesus? Do I sound like Jesus? Do I act like Jesus? No, no, no. I got some work to do. Maturity. That's what the gifts are to produce in us. Intimacy with Jesus. That's what the gifts make available to us. Unity in the body of Christ over the foundational things of the church. That's what the five-fold gifts should bring to us. Thank God that he gave us gifts. Thank God that they have a specific purpose. Thank God that though he doesn't need us, he lets us participate because he loves us and he's working on us. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the word. I thank you for this group of people that will come out on a Wednesday night and hear meat and, Father, receive it with gladness. Father, bless their lives tonight. Father, the time that they invested, multiply it back to them. Bless their relationships, their finances, their spiritual walk, and their growth. Do it all in Jesus' name because of your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, that you've given us each a gift, that you're training each of us, that you've given each of us an assignment. And, Father, help us to be like Jesus.
busy about our Father's business. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.